Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. Well, here's our timeline today. Chris Mortensen says Browns offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens will be named the new Browns head coach. Later today, Greg Williams has been relieved of his responsibilities. Dan Graziano and Adam Schefter both reporting that Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio has an agreement to become the next Broncos head coach. And round and round we go in the coach's carousel, as is always the case this time of year. Glad you could be with us on what has been a very busy Wednesday afternoon. I'm Wendy Nix, Josina Anderson, Coach John Fox, and Teddy Bruski. Uh, let's start first with the uh, the two hires, Coach. I'll ask you because I know you're close to Vic Fangio. First of all, with Coach Fangio going to Denver, and then we'll hear everyone's thoughts on Kitchens in Cleveland. Well, first of all, I'd like to say congratulations to yes. defensive coordinators and defensive coaches around the <laughs> defense, league. Defense. Finally. Uh, anyways, g- congratulations to Vic Fangio, 32-year assistant coach. Uh, I'm sure he, he wasn't sure he was going to get the opportunity, and then John Elway gave him that great opportunity, and Vic Fangio will do a fantastic job. Yeah, he's got to see a couple weapons they have there defensively in Denver, a couple great pass rushers in Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, the creative that he can use with them. If I'm a Denver Bronco defensive player, I am excited because I saw Chicago and what they did all year long, leading those statistical categories in sacks and turnovers and third down and all those things they did so great at. It was because of Vic Fangio's scheme. Excited to get started when it does. Well, it's interesting because Fangio bucks the trend a little bit, Josina, because the trend right now at the last few days has very much been a young, offensive-minded head coach who can come in and work with and support a quarterback. That's certainly the case with Freddie Kitchens, who gets this job in Cleveland because of the last eight games or so that he worked with Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and I had an opportunity to talk to Jarvis Landry last night and was just trying to get a feel for why is it that you like Freddie Kitchens? Why do you think it was working with him down the stretch? And one of the things that he told me, he said, Freddie Kitchens is a guy who listens and who also takes our input. And we were having more of that down the stretch. Like he said, he would come to us and say, do you prefer power over trap or stretch over ISO? He said sometimes coaches who call plays can have an ego. And this is all Landry's words. But he said, I like the fact that not only was he open to our suggestions, but he was also open to our suggestions in the middle of the game. The other thing that I thought that he said that was very important about Freddie Kitchens is that he said he's real and authentic. And he said one of the things that I feel like gets overlooked with head coaches and even those people who are still looking to fill vacancies right now, is that we are not necessarily looking for a coach who's lenient, but one who is a man of his word. I've heard that from players like Adrian Peterson. I've heard that from players across the league. Like, it's just not just beyond X's and O's. It's someone we respect as a man who we can come to and talk to, and that helps to keep the chemistry as a whole beyond the quarterback position. Joe, that's interesting what you're saying Mm -hmm. about the input. So many players along the league now, this this new generation of players – They have ideas. They Mm -hmm. want to express them. They want to tell you what they feel we should be running. That type of relationship is important. I think it's going to be the theme of this show for the next hour or so, that that quarterback, 
that, that offensive coordinator, head coach relationship with the group that you're going to work with, probably most importantly, the quarterback. Are you into what I can give also? You know what? And it's not just football. It's industry-wide. You talk to folks in finance or any other industry, young people now have thoughts. They want to be heard. They want to contribute immediately in ways that maybe, you know, we, we didn't. You had a head profession <laughs> that is usually, and, you, know, and, and you and just do what I say. Because yeah. Joe's talking about egos. Exactly. And so many coaches have Different those world. egos. Listen, I've been doing this for 25 years, man. Mm. Because Listen, I said it works. So. We've won. It might have been 15 years ago, but we won. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to stick with this. A lot of these coaches still have that type of hard-headed, stubborn mentality. Players want a little bit of, of yeah. flexibility these days. But I think it's important, even though I know we're hyped with the first defensive uh, coordinator hire for you. Yes, yep. I was, I'm fired up. <laughs> but I, right. talked to Brent, I know you're fired up, right? But I talked to Brandon Marshall last night, and I think he brings up a very good point as far as probably what is playing into Elway's mind, not just the fact that they have fallen from a top-five defense since uh, they went to the Super Bowl now to 22nd, but also the fact that they have Gary Kubiak in-house, who is a senior mm-hmm. advisor and who he very much, I'm sure, feels that like can balance the coaching hire of Fangio on the offense side and why they were not letting him do other uh, interviews. Well, there, well, there's no doubt that was part of it. You know, in talking with the people I know in Denver, you know, Gary coming back in, running the West Coast, that's what John Elway's comfortable with. That's what he ran as a player even back, you know, with Mike Shanahan. Is right. That's an offense, that West Coast offense, the outside zone run scheme is something that John's very, you know, comfortable with. And I think Vic pretty much signed off on that. I think that Denver offense, it's it's not – I just don't think with, with Case Keenum, right, it's not going to be a 30-plus point mm. a game offense. Mm-mm. It is that zone running. Philip Lindsay is going to be a star. Those running backs, those type of ball control, play-action pass type of thing, you need a dominant defense to win championships yep. with that type of offense. And, he, dominant and, and listen, and he also mentioned that beyond having Gary Kubiak and thinking that that was a very good idea, I'm talking about Brandon Marshall, but he did underline the importance of the impact of that trade uh, Demarius Thomas and what that had on the offense and also the fact that they've not been getting to play from the quarterback position. So regardless of the fact if you have Vangio there to augment and enhance the defense, you still have to address the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. You still got it. Sure. And they, yeah. they averaged 19 points per game over the last two years, and that wasn't enough regardless of who was on. Well, defense. I'll say this. If Keenum's your guy, all right, and you want to go with that. And I think there's that, a big question mark that is, there. If there is. If Keenum is your guy, you need those receivers like he had in Minnesota, in the Thielens and the Diggs, that type, because – he try, he, I'm sorry, if, yeah, Keenan, he will throw it up, and then it's like, you got to make a play for me. You got to have those type of receivers for Keenum. So, period. Sanders, yeah. no Anybody Sanders, mm-hmm. no, no DeBarris Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Denver has made a decision. We've also talked about who do we start with? Freddie Kitchens in Cleveland. Green Bay was the first team to get their guy. He'll be introduced, Matt LaFleur, in just a little bit. And then there's this. Uh, in what has to be, I think, considered a little bit of a surprise, the Cardinals have tapped former Texas Tech head coach. Cliff Kingsbury is their lead man. He replaces Steve Wilkes, who was fired December 31st, New Year's Eve, after just one season in Arizona. Here's the new head coach. I've been around football my entire life. I've played in this league, you know, coached in the college level, um, and always been fascinated by the NFL and, and kind of the offensive trends going on these days. Uh, I feel like it was a perfect time and, and just fired up to be here. You see where it's going. You see where it's been, where it's going. Have a young quarterback, lots of salary cap space. Um, and a team that continue to fight throughout the season. So really honored to be here and excited to get to work. A look at Kingsbury's recent stops. He served as a co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Houston for two years. It was there that he worked with Case Keenum. Then he was the OC at Texas A&M in 2012. He coached up a guy you might have heard of, 
Johnny Manziel. He won the Heisman Trophy that year. He spent six years as a head coach, seven total, but six as a head coach at his alma mater, Texas Tech, and was big in the development of chief standout Patrick Mahomes. And it is clearly the case that they want him to work with their new young quarterback in Arizona as we say hello to Pedro Gomez, who is there now awaiting Kingsbury's introductory news conference at the top of the hour. And Pedro, first of all, how did we get here? How did the Cardinals settle on Cliff Kingsbury? You know, Wendy, this is a story like many that goes back in time. Steve Keim was very high on Patrick Mahomes during the 2016 season, which wound up being his last season at Texas Tech. So leading up to the draft in 2017, Keim spent a lot of time in Lubbock watching Patrick Mahomes and talking to Cliff Kingsbury, the then head coach of the Red Raiders. That is where the connection started. So it's one of those things where you never know what's going to happen down the road. And interestingly, that's where Kime and Kingsbury started their relationship. And look where it's led to. In about 60, 70 minutes, he will be introduced here in Tempe at the Cardinals facility. Well, Pedro, the obvious next question is, what does this mean for the young quarterback, Josh Rosen? (laughs) Well, this means they are all in on Josh Rosen. Look, they need to get him some, some wide receivers. They need to get him some playmakers. David Johnson, obviously, is a former pro bowler. But they need to get more weapons for Josh Rosen. They could have up to 10 draft picks this year. They have seven for sure. They could add three compensatory picks. They need to shore up that offensive line. So many times during the season this year, you saw Josh Rosen really harried. He was he was behind the line. The defensive lines were on him before he could really do anything. That is a position, a, a line, a strength of uh, the def- offensive line that they truly have to shore up to give Rosen some protection. Look, don't forget, they moved up in the draft last year to get Josh Rosen when he was available at 10. They think he is NFL ready, that he is somebody that is going to be an elite level quarterback, bringing Kingsbury in just ensures that they are still thinking along those lines. Pedro, thank you. And now it will be the job of Cliff Kingsbury to make sure he reaches his potential. And I think there's little question that that was the driving force here. Coach, I'll start with you. I mean, they wanted a young guy, a quarterback-centric guy who could come in and help Josh Rosen develop. They clearly think he's the one that can do it. Well, I think if you even just look at last year's hire, they went defense with Steve Wilkes. You know, they made that change after one season, and they just failed miserably offensively. They fired Mike McCoy, you know, six games into the season. Uh, You know, went to Byron Leftwich being the coordinator. They didn't really improve. They struggled all season long on offense. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they went with a quarterback whisper, you know, and Cliff Kingsbury is who they went with. Somebody that can figure this kid out. I mean, yeah. Josh Rosen, to Enigma, me, I think is he's the a word. Different, different dude. Yeah. Different. Quarterbacks in general are different people. Okay, <laughs> I'll say that. All right. But you got, you got the mentalities of, you know, Phillip Rivers. You know, the mentalities of Brady. The, the mentalities of Breeze. You know what type of type of guys they are. You know, who they're, what, what they're thinking inside. Josh has to be figured out, in my opinion. I mean, and, and they... The Wilkes, one year and done, I don't agree with, all right? I mean, that's, that, was, that was strange for me to not, to not give a coach multiple years to try, to try to get a job done. But this has got to be top of the reason why, that this kid, yeah, 
He's going to be your quarterback. You need the quarterback-head coach relationship to be solid, and you need someone. If Kime knew him in the past and had conversations when he was uh, talking about Mahomes, like Pedro's talking about, that type of figuring, figuring Kingsbury out that he can get to my quarterback and get the most out of him, that's the theme here. That's the theme throughout the league. Who can I get to figure out my young, promising quarterback and get the most out of him? It's the young, young coach in Cliff It's Kingsbury. absolutely the theme. It started, of course, with Sean McVay and Jared Goff. Everybody's looking for the next Sean McVay. Now, first of all, let me say I agree with you on Wilkes. I don't think Vince Lombardi could have turned that thing around in one <laughs> season. So we, can de- we don't even have sure. to debate yeah. that. Right. But they've made a decision to move on. And I'd be curious, Josina, what you're hearing around the league in terms of the reaction that their choice is Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> Um, well, <laughs> I mean, listen, I've heard from so many people over the last three or four days, and obviously there are um, a lot of uh, pointed reactions about this hire with regards to um, Cliff Kingsbury's experience and what have you. Now, you don't want to take away what he's done with Johnny Menzel in terms of him having his Heisman year with him and Case Keenum leading the FBS in passing yards when he was with him and Mahomes leading uh, in touchdowns and passing yards over the two years that he had him here. But the thing about it, too, is that two of the six years that Cliff Kingsbury was over at Texas Tech uh, were, were winning seasons, just two of the six. And his last winning season was in 2015. So, yes, we're talking about that quarterback-coach relationship is very important, and you need to be a quarterback whisperer. But you also need to show that you can coach the rest of the team. And there's a reason why that he is not at Texas Tech, because they have not been winning. They have not been winning, have not had a winning season since 2015. So the question with Cliff Kingsbury remains to be, what kind of staff can you build? Can you show that you can relate also beyond the quarterback? Because if you could, right, so far, just based on the record, not the personal, but just looking at the record and having these notes here, you know, can you show that you can win and, and beyond the relationship with the quarterback? Because that didn't do the job the last three years that you were where you were. And I think players will have those concerns also when you bring in an inexperienced head coach like this. You're sitting in the team meeting room and you're not only listening, but you're listening and sort of interpreting. Like, what's this guy trying to do? Who is this guy? You're, you're trying to think about the personality. Who's he going to be? Jocena, I think you're right. The hires are crucial for Cliff. I think it's going to be you need good coordinators, positional coaches with head coaching experience that you can lean on, that that your players in the individual meetings and then the breakup meetings can see that these experienced coaches, they got your back, and they're the good coaches. And so you you figure out as a player, all right, we got this young, I don't know, possible prodigy head coach (laughs) that can help us out. You're here to help out our quarterback. You do that, we'll take care of our Listen, Sean McVay, Wade Phillips, like, you know, and and, and also – it's a, it's a little unfair to Sean McVay to say he's just about the quarterback. I mean, this guy's exceptional. Not that other people cannot do oh, it. But he absolutely. has some of those CEO oh, skills but that's Sean. that are necessary. But, but that, that, and that's my point. That's Sean. That's Sean. But, and that's my and, point. But also, Anthony Lynn has shown that with uh, San Diego. Absolutely. absolutely yep. That yep. He can have the humility to yes. bring on yep. other people who are head coaches, coaches. Right, and also give you the feedback. But I think that this is a very important point when we're evaluating these coaches moving forward is that I think when you look at the hire in Green Bay with Matt LaFleur, and I think when you look at Cliff Kingsbury in uh, Arizona, that it will be important for both of those organizations to win out of the gate because just what the trickle effect could be in that locker room 
let alone Aaron Rodgers with this, you know, younger guy who has to prove himself outside of being offensive coordinator in Tennessee Titans that had a 27th ranked offense offense. And also with uh, Arizona is to show that you can get it done because guys like Patrick Peterson, Antoine Bethea, right. whoever will be looking with the keen eye to see if you can get, I know you're going to have something with that's, this. I don't <laughs> think that's important. I don't think mm-hmm. that's important. You don't I think, think you winning look, out of the You game. look across the league mm-hmm. and there are one in five teams. They're one in three teams and you see how you struggle in September. And if you are committed and if you've made the decision, all right, I know what they did last mm-hmm. year with Wilkes. I already said that was, that was right. out of line. But now I think even after that, that example, you've got to be in with Kingsbury to give him that project time to let these things develop. And if he has a plan and then from upstairs all the way to Cliff and everyone, we have the plan, we're not going to just bail on it. If we have a bad September in October, you're going to stay the course. And, and it's going to get rough, and mm-hmm. it, it does. I mean, just mm-hmm. go back and look, look at Frank Reich and what the Indianapolis Colts went with. You know, as and far as first-year head coach, all right, you start off one and five. Well, that's when you really find out what you're all about as a coach and a staff is how those guys can be able to pull that out. 0-3 Houston Texans. You know, look at the job they did and their staff. And that's not one guy. Let's always remember this. It's not just the head coach. It's that whole entire staff. Yeah. You brought up Anthony Lynn. I think they've done a terrific job. Going back to even his first year a year ago, they started 0-4. Yeah, and and, look, how many, and yeah. look how many wins they've had since that time. A couple of distinctions about Indianapolis is that that's not done under the microscope of a big market like New York. I think if there had been uh, adversity like that in a different market, it could have been a different scenario in terms of how that ended up. But uh, but obviously, you know, kudos to Frank Reichen, and I believe he's done a great job there. And, I, and I'm actually going to modify what I said based on what I heard you say, because I do believe that Cliff Kingsbury will have more of a rope than Steve Wilkes did. So he will have okay. more time and more of a leash there. So, but, but I do think in Green Bay that it will be less of a leash, just in terms of uh, maybe how it's perceived by the quarterback. Mm. All right, so we've got Green Bay, as we mentioned. They were the first to make a decision with Matt LaFour. Then Cleveland, Denver. We talked about Arizona. We're not done. He's back. Let's go to Tampa, shall, shall we? Well, Bruce Arians will be the new head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, formerly in Arizona. He is 66, and I say pseudo-retirement. I'm not sure that's exactly what it was, but he came out of retirement to take over in Tampa Bay, again, a guy who's known uh, for working exceptionally well with quarterbacks, and they've got one who could use just a bit of improvement. Arians has twice been named NFL Coach of the Year. He produced a 619 win percentage as the Cardinals head coach. He took the team to the NFC title game in 2015. And again, you, you could argue he wrote the book on developing quarterbacks. He's been with Peyton Manning. Uh, he was one of his first quarterback coaches, first three NFL seasons, also served as offensive coordinator for two other pretty good quarterbacks by the name of Ben Roethlisberger and Andrew Luck. So uh, a little bit of a different situation. He is not super young. He's 66 right. years young, <laughs> uh, but not super young. And certainly he's an established coach. But again, a coach who's brought in coach to work with the quarterback and change things in that situation. Yeah, I think that's the, the thing you saw there. The only difference is he's not young. He's 66. But, you know, B.A.'s a young personality anyways. I think he gets along with players very well. I think yeah. he's proven that in his career. Definitely a guy that I have great respect for and what he's been able to do and, and think that he will be able to put together an outstanding staff. And let's not forget now, all right, Dirk Cutter did a great job offensively. They, they lit it up offensively. They didn't run the ball probably enough in my estimation, but 
where they need a lot, a lot of work is on that defense. Might have been the worst team. unit in the league. Exactly. Might have been I mean, the worst they were 32nd in probably half of the critical uh, categories in the National Football League. So that's going to be the real test. And then really that organization getting fans in the stands. I think that's been a problem ownership saw, and that's another reason for the change. Strong personality. You know, history with Jameis, I think, uh, really, uh, really helped him there. But like you said, Wendy, his, his background in quarterbacks is – you know, it's, I mean, it's established. It's up, right. it's yeah, up there. It's so up established. There. So, coach is right, though. I mean, you may have to score a lot of points. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you got to get that league. offense right. Yeah. And you talk about that history. Jameis Winston uh, attended Coach Arian's quarterback or, or football camps, I should say, in Alabama. So he's known this young kid for quite some time since he was a young kid. Well, he's a known quantity, and I think it, you could see kind of this coming because the front office, such a big advocate of uh, Jameis Winston, was hearing that throughout the year. So you knew that they were going to try to get someone who could, you know, fit in there, maybe take it to a different level. And I and I really like this hire. I have no qualms with this. I, I think that uh, Bruce Arians not only uh, brings the knowledge to, but he, he brings a relatability that yes. I think is also just bringing the whole team together, which is something that, you know, you look for. You want the coach to be able to talk to the quarterback or at least bring somebody on who could do that, but also bring the whole team in. Yep. And this is why we saw a lot of teams this year in record numbers. Ooh, um, sorry. Okay, that was a text, but not the text that I waited for. Okay, so <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Um, but I, but I think it's so important. We saw this with um, teams this year, so many of them falling apart with players speaking up and things unraveling in the midst of adversity. So we go back to what Jarvis Landry, what I was saying back at the beginning of the year, I think that that's important. And B.A. possesses yep. that and is also bringing people on to be his ears and his eyes to keep that you know better together. Wow. I mean, talk about a day. That's a lot of head coaches, a lot of jobs <laughs> filled. Two of these guys. we got Matt LaFour in Green Bay. He'll be introduced this afternoon. And the first, I believe, will be Cliff Kingsbury. He will be officially introduced in Arizona. And that's coming up at uh, 3 so, o'clock Eastern. I just, right. it came to me. Does this place look haunted? No, I don't think so. What about those two creepy girls? Come stay with us. That is truly frightening. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's great service. With Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents. Uh, thank you, creepy girls. Want to see our room? Mm, we're gonna sleep in the car now. Happy Geico-ween. Switch today for 24-7 access to licensed agents. What a weekend we have ahead, and it kicks off with the Colts and Chiefs. Their last playoff meeting came in the 2013 wildcard game. Indy rallied from 28 points down to beat Andy Reid's team. Arrowhead hasn't been kind to the Chiefs of late, though, in playoff games. They've lost an NFL record six straight home playoff games. The last win coming in the 1993 AFC wildcard. And Patrick Mahomes and Andrew Luck combined for 89 touchdown passes this season. The most in any quarterback matchup in NFL playoff history. He, he certainly creates some amazing plays, but he also makes the routine in the simple plays. So I think uh, his ability to, to really make every throw, to do the simple things well, uh, to do the amazing things well, uh, it's, 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 it's fun to watch. Certainly it's been fun to watch on, on TV. Uh, and hopefully we don't see too much of it you know, when, when, when we're playing him. But uh, he's fun to watch, certainly. Well, with more on this matchup, we will say hello to Dan Graziano. And, Dan, uh, up next for the Chiefs defense, they will face that tough Colts offense and Andrew Luck, who's been playing quite well. What's in plan? 
Yeah, as much respect as you heard there from Luck for Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs have a similar level of respect for Andrew Luck and what he can do. I was talking with Chris Jones, one of their defensive linemen, just a short time ago, and he said, you know, the offensive line is protecting him well, but Luck has a lot to do with his own protection because he moves around so well. He said that guy is a lot faster than people give him credit for. So that's not lost on them, the need to contain Luck, nor is it lost on the Chiefs that the Colts ran for 200 yards as a team last week against a Houston Texans team that had been very stiff against the run all year. So they're they're grinding on tape. Jones told me he was watching tape of teams that played them tough. His favorite is the Jacksonville game where the Jaguars shut out the Colts. He said that's the tape he's he's looking to to learn as much as he possibly can about how to take on luck and that very good Colts offensive line. Dan, sometimes I think we make too much about it, but we've talked a lot about Patrick Mahomes and the fact that this will be his first postseason game. Uh, it is different, though, I guess, a little bit than the regular season. Uh, what did the Chiefs say about getting him ready for a different stage? Yeah, we asked uh, Mitchell Schwartz, the right tackle, what gives you confidence that this moment won't be too big for Patrick? And he laughed. He said, well, so far, no moment has been too big for Patrick, so we, we feel like that's going to be okay. Uh, offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy and a couple other guys you know, mentioned Mahomes' background as a guy that grew up the son of a Major League Baseball player that's been around these kind of atmospheres, these kinds of big games his whole life when he was a child and didn't even know any better, that that sets him up well for this success. But, you know, fundamentally you have a player who's playing with a high level of confidence coming off the third 50-touchdown pass season in NFL history. They have no reason to doubt that he will deliver at the same level he's been delivering all year. Dan, thank you. And, and I happen to agree. We talked yesterday about who we were all in on. I don't know if the Chiefs will win, but I am certainly all in on the fact that I don't think Mahomes will be overwhelmed. There's just zero evidence to support the fact <laughs> that he would be. What we do wonder is if this Colts defense is playing well, Teddy, can figure out a way. I don't think he can stop him, but to contain him and slow him down. I think you've suggested and we've heard suggested confusion may be yeah. the best way to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if confusion is something in the DNA of the Indianapolis <coughs> Colts defense. This is in Baltimore, the Raven defense, where you have Weddle and you have Jefferson, and it's like they're all over the place. You can't find out what it is, if it's cover one, two, three, whatever it may be. Mm. This Colts defense is going to test Patrick Mahomes' patience, I believe. There's always going to be a shell. There's always going to be a safety up. They're not going to let Tyreek Hill run right down the seam on him and have nobody over the top. They want to test his patience and force him to make the decisions, Wendy. Seven-yard game. Five-yard game. Six-yard game, eight-yard game, and you're right. Mahomes isn't going to be afraid of the moment, and that's when I think that's when you can take advantage of it. I'm still so talented enough because I can get out of this pocket and keep going and and do anything with this arm that I got right here. I can throw 40 yards across the field and see if I can hit that receiver on a second and five when all I needed was that check down. So can he fight that mentality that all I need here is a first down? I don't, I don't need to hit the cheetah, although he can probably run it down. Although he can do I it. I don't need that right now. I just need to move this clock and get this, 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 this situation complete and then move on from yeah, there. Don't so that's, be a, that's don't what it's going to be, be for Pat Mahomes. You don't, don't have to be all the time. Coach, what would concern you, uh, you know, or, or I should say, does anything concern you about Patrick Mahomes facing this Colts defense? Not at all. You know, back to really what Dan reported on and kind of what I said yesterday as well is this guy's, you know, thrown 50-plus touchdowns in his first complete year of being a starting quarterback in the National Football League. No moment's been too big. I don't think this one will be either. But to Teddy's point, uh, 
Indy's going to play bend but don't break. And they play very good fundamental. You know, they're going to tackle. They're going to hustle. They're going to run to the ball. And they are going to test the patience. And that's going to be the biggest thing is him not trying to force some sort of big play that's not there. I think if they're, they're – oh, go ahead, sorry, If they're based – if it's a zone base, what they yeah. like to play, and if it's a Tampa 2, anything like that, the longer Mahomes can stay alive, the more he can find those type of opportunities to, because once he starts to um, scramble out of the pocket, that zone integrity will fracture. Mm-hmm. When I will start to look for people now defensively and start to try to match, and then I'm going to have to leave my zone, then somebody else can fill it, fill, right. can fill that vacated area. So his scrambling ability, the Colts rushers, they're going to have to be on yep. point with that speed, with that effort to constantly try to chase him down. A couple of things. I don't know if it's really about the moment being too big um, because I know I've talked to uh, people in Chiefs organizations who feel like no one has really rattled him. But I was there in person when the Seattle Seahawks defense kept him to just 10 points in the first half and still was able to be a major part of why the Seahawks beat the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And, and I've also seen the Colts defense in person shut out the Dallas Cowboys, particularly when they went in there and, as Demarcus Lawrence told me, did underestimate them. So I think the job that Iberflus is doing with that Colts defense, I actually have the Colts winning this game. I think that they will show that they ha- can look at all the tape from the entire season, make whatever adjustments and come in there and, and probably uh, shock the Chiefs even uh, at home. Well, and we, as much as we talk about Patrick Mahomes, and, and, and why wouldn't we? He very well could be the, the league MVP. You know, that defense has been an Achilles heel, and they'll have to contend with Andrew Luck, and that's certainly not easy and either. And T.Y. And that whole entire offense. And the seems to And the cloud mask <laughs> that seems to have <laughs> hit its stride. And that, that I would have questions about. Yeah, I think that's going to be really key. And even though it's in Kansas City, you know, you can quiet any crowd, and that's going to be, you know, with success. And I think Indy's kind of set up for that a little bit. They can run the ball very efficiently. That offensive line is terrific. You know, they've run the ball. The Chiefs have struggled giving up 5.1 yards per carry, which ranks second to last in National Football League. The other area where I have concerns with the Chiefs defense is in the red area, where they're scoring touchdowns 72% of the time that they get inside the red area, and that is second to last in the National Football League. And we're not even talking about Eric Ebron. We're not even talking about Marlon mm-hmm. Mack. So, yes, we're talking the about Patrick line, Mahomes, but yeah. it really, to me, is the Chiefs defense that is the Achilles heel in this matchup and why, if you think about Andrew Luck, T.Y., okay, the clown mask, mm-hmm. Ebron, Marlon Mack, and I think you combine and the defensive effort of the Colts, I think altogether that's why I have the Colts ahead of the Chiefs in this game. Well, and we always talk about Arrowhead being such a difficult place to play, but in the playoffs, and I know it's a, every year is different, but it, has, it hasn't worked out so well for the Chiefs at home in the postseason. Well, the Patriots enter Sunday's game against the Chargers looking for an eighth straight AFC championship game appearance. That would extend the longest streak since the AFC and the NFC were created. Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers head-to-head has been lopsided, though, including playoffs. Brady, a perfect 7-0 against Rivers, Brady's best record against any starting quarterback in his career. And now the Patriots may be unbeaten at home in 2018. But keep in mind, the Chargers are 9-0 this season outside the city of Los Angeles, compared to just 4-4 in L.A. They like to hit the road. We'll hit the red now and go west. ESPN's Shelly Smith is with the Chargers. Uh, the Patriots, uh, Mike Reese with the Patriots. We'll check in with you, Mike, in just a minute. But, Shelly, what do the Chargers say about their travel this week? They've gone from east to west and will and go back again, and also the health of their team, which is paramount. All right, Wendy, they 
could have chosen to stay on the East Coast, but decided not to. They decided to keep the schedule the exact same as they did in Baltimore. They're flying out at the same time, same amount of time in the air. And really, you know, how hard is it to fly in a charter? You have minimal security, you have a big seat, you have hot food, and you can watch game film on the TV screen there. So it's, it's not that big of a deal. And the charges are used to traveling. They like traveling. They think they feel like they get closer the more they travel together. The week they stayed in Cleveland, they got very, very close. And that's huge to them. As for their health, Melvin Gordon tweaked his knee but says he will play. And Hunter Henry, the tight end who tore his ACL last spring, has been activated. So there's one more person to worry about. Yeah, which is exactly what the Patriots don't need, Shelly. Thank you, although they've certainly been successful this time of year, especially in New England, Mike. But how are they going about getting ready for this Chargers team? Good afternoon, Wendy. Let's start with a scene setter. I'm here in the tunnel of Gillette Stadium. You know what happened here. This is where Teddy Bruschi used to get fired up before a big playoff <laughs> you game. And your scene like the one set, we're going to see Mike Sunday. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, before I got here into the tunnel, I was out at practice uh, within the last hour. I want to tell you what I saw. The Patriots in full pads. And that highlights the importance of the practice for the team. You know, they hadn't been on the field since last Thursday. Five days of rest. Bill Belichick's message to them, let's get after it in the full pads. And as they did that, a focus on Philip Rivers. Bill Belichick making an interesting comparison today, saying of Rivers, he's hard to tackle, a big, strong guy, has a good feel for the pocket, and knows how to use his blockers, he said, sort of like Ben Roethlisberger. And I followed up on that comparison with Belichick, and I said, what is the similarities between Rivers and Roethlisberger? He said, both good pocket quarterbacks. The Patriots, of course, faced Roethlisberger in mid-December, losing in Pittsburgh. Belichick added, it also helps to see Tom Brady, quite a good pocket passer himself at practice every day. Mike, thank you. It really is a tremendous matchup. It's a lot of fun to see these two quarterbacks both still playing and both playing in the playoffs in Foxborough this weekend. Thank you. Look, you really can't argue Zeke Elliott and Todd Gurley have been the game's best backs of late. Since Zeke entered the league, they've been the NFL's top two rushers, Zeke leading the charge. Ezekiel and Gurley have also excelled at running between the tackles and cranking out yards after contact. Reports from both teams now. We will start with our Cowboys reporter, Todd Archer. If the Cowboys are going to advance to their first NFC Championship game since 1995, their defense will have to slow down a Rams offense that hasn't been slowed down often, especially at home. The Rams averaged 37 points per game at the Coliseum. The Cowboys' defense gave up more than 30 points just once in the regular season. The top goal will be stopped Todd Gurley. When these teams met last season, Gurley had 121 yards rushing and 94 yards receiving in a Rams win. Facing the Leeds' leading rushing team in the wild card last week, the Cowboys gave up just 73 yards on the ground to Seattle. Tyrone Crawford, one of the defensive captains, said the Cowboys have to make the Rams one-dimensional. We're going to run and hit, he said. That's what we're bred to do on this defense. Todd, thank you for the Rams side of this matchup. We will welcome in our Rams reporter, Lindsay Theory from L.A. And home field advantage, <coughs> Lindsay, usually a pretty big deal when it comes to the playoffs. How much of an advantage do the Rams feel like it could be in the Coliseum? 
Hey, Wendy. Well, the Rams fan base has certainly grown since the team returned to L.A. in 2016, and they played it in some electric atmospheres in the Coliseum this season, including that Monday night game against the Kansas City Chiefs. However, there is an acute awareness here at the team facility amongst coaches and players that the Cowboys travel well and that they have a strong fan base here in Southern California. Keep in mind, the Cowboys do hold training camp just 17 miles up the road in Oxnard. Sean McVay said his players may have to adjust and adapt to the atmosphere that they're met with on Saturday. I think it's fun. I mean, we're in a unique situation of, of, of just being in Southern California. So you, you, we, we as a as a team, we just got to we got to win anyway to get more fans in, the, in to come. With them just being here every off season and them doing training camp and stuff here, and them just being America's team, so so called, you got to expect for Dallas going to travel. It's not going to feel like home. They play in the dome. We outside, so that's one element. Uh, second element is they getting on the plane. We not. That's another element. So uh, last time I checked, it's a home game for us. It don't matter who's sitting in the stands. And I asked Jared Goff if the Rams plan to add anything into practice in case the offense does hear some extra noise on Saturday. Goff gave me an emphatic no. Wendy? Well, Lindsay, you know what will help as much as home field? How about a healthy Todd Gurley? They could use that. What's the latest with Gurley's knee injury? Yeah, we're expecting to see Todd Gurley practice for the first time since week 15 in just a couple of hours. Now, Sean McVay said that it will be really important for Gurley to get out there, put his foot in the ground, and see how his left knee responds. That's the knee that's had some inflammation and soreness. Now, Gurley also told me that he really needs to get out there and practice at least a couple of times before he takes the field Saturday just to see how he feels. But right now, Wendy, the Rams certainly expect to have their star running back on the field with them Saturday. And veteran running back, as you saw, C.J. Anderson also is expected to get a few carries in there after he rushed for a combined 299 yards in his first two games with the Rams, those last two games of the season against the Cardinals and 49ers. Wendy? All hands on deck. There's no question about that. Lindsay, thank you. And we started this by showing some of those incredible hurdles from these guys. Let's take a look, shall we? Number six, week 14, Seahawks and Vikings. Bobby Wagner leaps over the line, blocks a field goal, and Pete Carroll is all for it. Why wouldn't he be? It looks kind of like the pummel holes in gymnastics. You know, kinda... yeah, this is the, these are the top <laughs> hurdles of the 2018 NFL season. And that one was well-timed. You want to try to stay away from put your hands oh, on yeah. that? That was an illegal one. See, I told you he liked it. Yeah. You want to stay away from putting your back on those offensive linemen, <laughs> oh, but uh, do what you got to do. Week 12, Seahawks <laughs> and Panthers. Chris Carson up the middle, tries to hurdle Eric Reed. Oh, remember this, but dips Oops. his shoulder. He does he the flip, it. but sticks to landing. You know what's amazing to me is, is that this doesn't happen every time. Right. And that's the, why it's so skilled and so special when you see it, but this is... Oh, uh, I, he didn't get the front leg up. Me. He didn't get the front uh, leg up. That's the thing on the hurdle. So could it hurt his wrist? Could it hurt a lot of things. Really risky. Right. Really risky. Panthers and Bucks, uh, week nine. Christian McCaffrey cuts up the field. He hurdles over Carlton Davis, and he makes it and keeps going. That's yards after hurdle. Is that a? <laughs> is that a <laughs> yeah, yards after hurdle? It's on Jen's stats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm starting it. You heard it here first. So he brings the trail leg up there. It's just, yeah. you, you see these, 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 these defenders. I know. Yeah, the trail yeah, leg, like Teddy. <laughs> Cowboys and Eagles, week 10. Zeke 
It's got somebody to beat Trey Sullivan, but stumbles down. Yeah. Oh, it's he. You, you got to So, finish. Joe, that would be the lead leg that he gets up. <laughs> he gets that up. Right? And his mom was also, I think, a, a hurdle. That was actually a great technique. Well. I don't know Is what happened right? after that. Yeah, that's more like Edward Moses. Like you ran out of gas. Yeah, we're, we're going full-fledged yeah. track and field here now. Ed. That was a B plus. <laughs> you only get a B because you tripped yourself up. Oh, Giants and Bears. Oh, oh. Safe one mm. right over Adrian mm. Amos. How about that? I mean, I like it. The, he doesn't stick the landing either, but they're, they're not legit to me unless you keep going. Okay, is that right? So all you it have was, to have was yards yards up. Up What girl. is legit is the fact that he took off so much further away from the I mean, defender, right? so, and that he was still able to clear. That's what I like. This is number one. <laughs> Bill well, and Vikings. It's, I mean, a I, it's a quarterback. I guess. Oh, I, it is. Questioning the highlight. Well, <laughs> no, I, he's a quarterback. He's Josh yeah. Allen. Okay, I, I guess I can nah, go with that. Nah, uh, yeah, yeah. Ezekiel in the middle. Elliott's was the best for me. That's the only bad thing. He yeah. kind of froze in the middle. Who he, led in yards but, after her? I mean, this he, guy looked like he ducked. He's like this large human curling at my head. <laughs> Arguably one of the best weekends of football all season long and postseason NFL. Countdown gets you ready first Saturday at 10 Eastern and then back again Sunday at their normal hour, 10 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, also available streaming live on the ESPN app. Moss. Moss will be there. The Green Bay Packers will formally introduce their new head coach at 4 o'clock Eastern today. Matt LaFleur spent one year as the Titans offensive coordinator under first-year head coach Mike Vrabel. He will now team up with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. We will welcome back Packers reporter Rob Domofsky. And, Rob, we don't know exactly how it will happen yet, but what's the expectation in terms of how LaFleur will connect with Aaron Rodgers? Well, yeah, Wendy, that's the big question, and it is sure to dominate the press conference this afternoon. But here's what the Packers think. They think that their ages could help in that factor. LaFleur, at age 39, was the youngest of all the candidates they interviewed. Rodgers, of course, is 35. And one source told me that they think Rodgers needs a contemporary, someone that he can relate to. And you've heard Rodgers talk throughout the last couple of seasons about how harder it has become for him to do that with players. He's lost his good friends teammates Jordy Nelson and free agency James Jones to retirement. He also talked, Wendy, about how when he came in, he saw the same thing happen with Brett Favre as Favre got later in his career. And when they hired Mike McCarthy in 2006, McCarthy was 42, uh, Favre, excuse me, was 36. It took those guys just two years to get to an NFC championship game. The Packers hope that LaFleur and Rodgers mesh the same way. Rob, thank you. Really an interesting dynamic. We will have LaFleur's introductory news conference live. That's 4 o'clock Eastern on ESPN2. So join us for a Sports Center special as we continue to roll out these coaches. Uh, we have Cliff Kingsbury first at 3 and then Matt LaFleur at 4. Teddy, you know what? Hold that thought. We're going to talk about something else. Okay. The Denver Broncos have reached an agreement with uh, Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. He will be their new head coach, sources tell our Adam Schefter and Darren Graziano. The reports also indicate that Gary Kubiak will run the offense for the Broncos, but his official title has yet to be determined. And in Cleveland, the Browns will hire O.C. Freddie Kitchens as their head coach. This was reported by Chris Mortensen. Baker Mayfield turned his rookie year around after the team parted ways with Todd Haley and promoted Kitchens to offensive coordinator. They have relieved interim coach and former defensive coordinator Greg Williams of his duties. He is no longer with the team, so he moves on. You know, again, we talked about the trend. Younger guy, quarterback-driven guy, Vic Fangio is an exception. Uh, But what's your take on the Kitchens hire, Coach? 
Well, you know, I think just the job he did once he took over for Hugh Jackson, I think, was enough. I think, mm-hmm. you know, he, he definitely identified, you know, with the offense, uh, the quarterback position in, in Baker Mayfield. And, you know, I thought it was a job interview the rest of the, the, did a good job. You know, yeah. the, the rest of the season. And, and I think that's why now he's the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And I think also if you if you consider the entire rookie year of Baker Mayfield and how your football foundation, I like to call it, is laid. And when you start with uh, Todd Haley and mm-hmm. and Greg Williams and Hugh Jackson and those type of guys, and all of a sudden Hugh Jackson is out, Todd Haley is out. Who, heaven knows what Baker Mayfield saw in there in terms of coach-player, player-coach relationships and how, like, what is going on in here? You know, and then all of a sudden things start get going right. Kitchen starts doing a good job. And then you see how the connection there is between yep. Baker and Kitchens. And so you don't want to mess it up too bad. All right. Cleaning house again, bringing someone new in. Do you want to do that in terms of development? If this is a guy that you feel comfortable with, with your quarterback, which there it is, quarterback, head coach relationship, you got to move forward with it. So having said that, I, and I completely agree, and obviously that sample size, small as it was, was effective. You got to do a lot of other things, coach, as a head coach. You know, that, that important, that relationship is, is paramount with his quarterback, Baker Mayfield. But are you confident, comfortable and confident that he can tackle those other parts that come along with sort of being the CEO in this situation? Well, that, that's the thing you don't know. I guess you, you, I, you I, do I it. remember even, you know, being a defensive coordinator and going into my first year in Carolina. You know, you, there's no manual for it. You don't really know. But I think Freddie's been an 11-year assistant. He's coached multiple positions on offense. Um, I think with Greg Williams moving on, this will be an interesting hire who he brings in to run that defense because it's a young, talented defense. And Greg Williams really is a good defensive coach. And who he ends up being able to hire in that role is going to be you know, probably his biggest hire as now the Browns' head coach. And as I mentioned before, I talked to Jarvis Landry last night, and he really pointed out what he liked about Freddie Kitchens, not the fact that he just brings the trick plays, but he was seeking and listening to the input of the players as far as what is it that they like to do on offense, whether it be power, a trap, or ISO, a stretch. These are the things that he said that he liked. And also he said when you see coaches sometimes that are calling plays that they can have an ego, but he liked the fact that he was taking their suggestions also in the middle of the game. And then we also talked about this lastly, that he finds him to be very real and authentic, and he underlines the fact he feels like he is a man of his word, which this day and age with the way that the players are and whether you want to call them Generation Z, whatever generation they are now, the fact that he feels like trust. he can respect him and the trust factor that yeah. is there, which I think is a quality that gets very overlooked in the process of evaluating coaches and whether they can hold a team of 53 players together. What are what are we on now? Are we Gen, Gen, anybody know? I don't know. I don't know. Don't, I tell you what, we're so far away, young. we have no but, idea. Yeah, but the Baker, generation young. The Baker Mayfield generation. <laughs> watching him towards the end of the season, you could tell he was comfortable. He was comfortable speaking his mind. He He was comfortable playing free. He was comfortable talking trash. I think that's the best Baker Mayfield you want. So for him to express that, you know, just just watching him. I mean, just being who you are. I mean, that's he was he was in conjunction with Kitchens. That was the partnership. So keep it going. But that well, said, Fox has it right. Being a coordinator is still a whole different thing from being a head coach. And we've seen you know uh, candidates go from the coordinator level to the head coach, and then realize it's a whole different scenario in terms of managing the macro right. view of everything. So we'll see you know how that goes on from here. Here to four called Generation Baker Mayfield. <laughs> that's what that's what they're going to be called. What's the most important thing Vic Fangio has to do, coach, from the outset? 
Well, I think really the reason he's brought in there is get that defense squared away. You know, I think they, they know they struggle a little bit on offense, and they did this year. You know, when they went and won the Super Bowl in 2015, they did that with a, an incredible defense. One of probably one of the top ten of all time, you know, in their last Lombardi trophy. So I think that's what Elway saw in Vic, you know, the job he was able to do in Chicago, you know, turning that defense around, you know, since 2015 and hopefully being able with some good pieces, really some way better starting pieces in Denver right now than there was in Chicago when Vic first went to Chicago. So I think right now it's getting that defense right. Uh, let me ask you this. I know we got a lot of other things to cover, but I, I do want to go back to one thing that Rob Domofsky said because I thought it was interesting, Josina, about the age uh, between mm-hmm. uh, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. Do you, do you buy that, that perhaps that can be an advantage in this case? Well, I mean, I think that there is some relatability that could be there and connectivity with, you know, the fact that there is, uh, you know, some closeness there. However, it could also work against, right, in terms of if you experience some early adversity and then, you know, we we looked at what you were doing last year with the Tennessee Titans, what your experience or lack thereof has been, you know, in terms of the many years as a coordinator or not, you know, as a head coach. I'm saying lack thereof. So if you experience some adversity, that could be a point of question and contention moving forward. Sure. Let Let me address that, Wendy, this way. When you become uh, 11, 12, 13 years in the league, your relationships with your coaches become stronger because the younger players that come into the locker room, it's like, man, I can't hang out. I got to go home and be with my kids. It's different. It's different. It's like, no, I'm not into video games anymore, man. I don't do that. And 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 you're still with them and you play with them and you have good relationships. You probably have more in common. But it's a little different. But you have more in common with your coaches. So I can see that with Aaron Rodgers and then having a relationship he can count on in the room, right? If it's with LaFleur right there, because a lot of the players that are going to come into Green Bay in the next couple years, had Aaron Rodgers' picture on their wall. Right. So it's a lot different when you're dealing with that yeah, type of think, mentality. Think about Philip Rivers. No, I'm sorry. I've got eight, wait, nine kids at home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Video games will have to wait. We'll get back to no, that. I can't hang up, but if you want to babysit, come on over anytime. <laughs> That's how it yeah, is. Exactly. Well, he's got a unique voice, right? I mean, so. I've, I've heard it since I was like seventh grade. I kind of just embraced it. And so I, I know my voice has been different. Froggy. <laughs> People started saying Kermit the Frog. He's, he's, he's awesome. He's the best. Ready. Nice set, man. Absolutely. You know, always looking for that oil. Ready. Good job, big boy. Oh, big boy. We're just excited to have another opportunity. Well, the two quarterbacks facing off in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes and Andrew Luck, have the kind of voice you recognize in an instant, right? You can pick them out of the lineup without even looking at them. So, it made us wonder, mm. ladies and gentlemen, how mm. good you guys would be. We're going to play a little game we call Voice of the Franchise. Okay. You won't see them. You will hear them. They are all quarterbacks, and you don't have to wait. You know the answer. Shout it out. We'll okay. see how we go, okay? No okay. buzzer. All right. No buzzer. No. I, you know. I don't. You can figure it out. Throw something at the camera. All right. Are we ready? Let's hear our first quarterback. You always want to protect football, but I don't think you want to play. Philip Rivers. I'm scared to make a play and make a mistake because then you won't make any plays. Yep, there you go. Who is that? Philip Rivers. You definitely got to cut it loose. I want a mentor. But at the same time, okay, you can you can manage all those situations that. I have an idea where you may struggle. I'm not going to tell you what numbers they are, but okay. Okay. Number two. 
they can tell when receivers are running different wow. routes what else is coming behind it so they're able to <laughs> you know have wild. vision on it, and cut it and, you know, they have really good ball skills and that's something that <laughs> like, you don't always see so I've been very impressed what they do so I don't think you've seen him you haven't seen him have you you didn't see the answers. No. What? Okay. No, all right. I'm just, it was quick. That's an accusation, <laughs> no, Lindsay. I Wendy. I, I don't appreciate that. It Take was a question. Commissioner. All right. You Arizona go. people. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Number three. No one likes losing. So, I mean, I got to ask you the same question. You can give probably a, a better answer uh, than me. No one likes losing. Everyone loves winning. People love winners. Really? Uh, like I, I agree say, with them, but I don't know who it is. We just <laughs> have to I'm find a way. A as simple as that. We have to find a way. Nobody, no, no, oh, I, 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 I can hear, tell I can, that, but I forgot. We it's Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston. Uh, Did you know that? No one likes yes. losing. You do? Uh, okay, Teddy's. So, you guys. I mean, I got to ask you the same question. This is closer to playing Alabama. No one likes losing. Everyone loves winning. Thank you for giving us a chance. It didn't help. Don't let the kids win. Don't let the kids win. Play fair. Number four. They've been playing great, and it's the time of year to do it. That's it. Fine, yeah. Playing against a team. You know, I thought everyone fought pretty hard this week. We've also heard it for 25,000 years. I made a living listening to the quarterback. How big the game this was. There was right, nobody there taking go. their... A good living, I might add. <laughs> uh, all right. What was that? We on five? Number five. five. For us, it's just we just want to keep defenses off balance. Oh, that's we don't true, want man. to tee off on the run or the pass. Listen, you have a nice game, Teddy. Oh, this is Teddy's game. We pretty good on first and second down today. Man, I'm just keeping that, that rhythm. And, uh, I don't right. recognize him with the beard. I remember the voice. Coach, did you know that one? Huh? I didn't know that did one. I, I did, but he, he, he does, does it so fast. Oh, that's a point. <laughs> I, that's I'm a little point. slow. I'm sorry. I, he's like, I'm sorry. speed up. Number six. Yeah, I mean, I want the ball in my hand. I always have and always will. Uh, so just anytime I get that opportunity to get that chance, um, uh, that's the way I'd like it. So just to go down there nope. and everybody just this execute is the, one the I way they did. Offensive line protected, oh, receivers no. getting open. As I said, it's just a byproduct of what we do each and every week. Mm-mm. I don't know. Yeah, the, it, can, we, the, the can we play it? Can we replay it? Can we replay it? I don't know. Can we second replay chance? it? Can we get a second chance? Yeah, I mean, I want the ball. Oh, always always So just anytime I that's get that opportunity to get that chance, he, he just um, it, it, that's the not, way I'd like it. So just to go down there, you know, and this everybody voice just doesn't sound. Yeah, and nothing wrong with it. Just all right, number whatever we're on eight. Dak was hard. You know, for us to be able to try to improve each and every week as a team is very important. We always preach that. You know, this is an improving league and the best team that improves yeah, at the Sean. end of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deshaun and Deshaun you know, are the ones and, that I thought. The, no, Deshaun's you know, voice is just fake, too. I, I don't recognize that. it. Good. I, I recognize it, just didn't yeah. move fast. <laughs> Number eight. Let's keep going. See how we do. Teddy's killing you, so let's. You know, that shows how close we are. Um, obviously, it's, it's a great feeling to have when Golf? people have your back, but they have that feeling for me, too. I got their back, and that's a. That's a real team right there. I mean, obviously, the extracurricular activity is not, you know, it's not necessary, but that just shows what type of bond we have in the locker room. Nobody? Uh, it I don't sounds familiar. Baker. Oh. Okay. Baker Mayfield. You know, that shows okay. how close we are. Yeah, um, that's right, Baker. Obviously, you it's, huh. it's a great feeling huh. to have, knowing people have your back, but okay. I wasn't they have the voice that. I was going with. Uh, uh, let's, let's do another. We'll do one more. Yeah, we'll do one more. Here we go. The grand finale. You know, people should look at our coaching staff and be like, okay, oh, wow. You know, they, yeah. They put together nice a plan that can do yeah. certain things, even though for y'all to throw Lamar, A, B, and C yeah. isn't there. You know what I mean? <laughs> he um, was. Uh, and so, go one more. One more. Come on. One more. One more. We can do, we can do one more. Let's I'll go. make an executive decision. One more. 
I think I will. Where's the game show? Music I just get to fired? Keep this moving along. Yeah. Well, I know. I we, we get, maybe that was it. We're ready. We're we're done. One more. One and that's more. part of the frustrating part is you know it's not one thing. You say okay, let's just go fix that and we'll be fine. Um, you know, it's just it's tough to win games in the football in the National Lions, Football League the Lions and, and um, yeah, yeah. for one reason or another yeah, um, execution. There isn't one thing. They got a lot of lot of situations. <laughs> I got to start listening. Uh, to all right, voices. I think that's it. That's there it. There you go. All right. So, what parting gift does um, Ted what, get? What parting gift? He, just cleaned he us. gets he gets to come me. back so for another ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah. I'm still uh, and here are two new head coaches introduced. Congratulations, All Teddy. Right, thank you. Yeah, we'll look <laughs> forward to that coming yeah. up three o'clock Eastern on ESPN two. <laughs> Well, here we go again, or at least that's what Philly fans are hoping for. Nick Foles leads the Eagles into New Orleans to face a rested Saints squad. The Eagles are hoping for an entirely different scenario than the one they faced in the Big Easy in November when a Carson Wentz-led Eagles team was shellacked 48-7. to For more on the Saints and how they are looking to repeat November's effort, here's Mike Triplett. Thanks, Wendy. The Saints insist they won't be taking the Eagles lightly despite what happened in that previous meeting. And in particular, they've talked about how much respect they have for Philly's front four on defense, led by Fletcher Cox, who has six and a half sacks since that last meeting. Saints center Max Unger said even in that blowout win, it was really hard to run against this front. And Unger and Sean Payton both talked about how much pressure they can get on the quarterback with just their front four not needing to blitz. So big key will be the health of New Orleans' offensive line. One of the best units in the game when healthy, but they really struggled in December on offense when that unit started to get a little banged up. So these last two weeks of rest will do them a lot of good. We'll get our first injury report this afternoon. A lot of them have a chance to come back with the biggest question mark being Pro Bowl left tackle Teron Armstead. Mike, thank you for the other side of this equation. We'll say hello to Sal Palantonio. Where else? He's in Philly. And, Sal, here we go again. They're hoping this magic carpet ride continues for the Eagles. Uh, But they'll have to get the job done in New Orleans for that to be the case, and that's no small order. Wendy, St. Nick has put away his sleigh. Christmas is over. It's the playoffs. Let's bring out the magic carpet ride. That's what they're talking about here. And, you know, we asked Nick Foles about the magic that this football team put together in Chicago in the wild card game. And he said there's no special sauce, no secret sauce. It's all about forging relationships in the locker room. Listen to this. From my experience, it's the team that has the best relationships, the team that trusts each other the most um, are the teams that are usually successful. There are some anomalies out there, but the teams I've been a part of, you go into that locker room, it's a cohesive group that genuinely cares about one another. And my philosophy always is, you know, in the fourth quarter, when the game's on the line, when you trust the men next to you, you're going to get it done more times than not. And, uh, you know, I think this team's a testament to that. And it's not only about relationships. It's obviously about execution. And for Nick Foles, that's been getting the ball out of his hands in 2.5 seconds or less. 2.5 seconds or less, Wendy, is Drew Brees, Tom Brady kind of neighborhood. And since week 15 in the National Football League, league-wide, Nick Foles leads the league in pass attempts, 87, yards, 647, and touchdowns, 6, when he gets the ball out of his hands in 2.5 seconds or less. Sal, thank you. A little windy in South Philly this afternoon. And I tell you what, that's the kind of neighborhood Drew Brees and Tom Brady, if they live there, you want to put up a big house and stay for a while. Uh, and so far, that's, that's 
trending well for Nick Foles. You know, I, look, I don't, we make too much of this sometimes. I don't know what that it is. He's doing a lot of things well. He's calm under pressure. But something, it is happening in Philly. I don't know how far they'll go and if they'll win in New Orleans. But they're buying what he's selling in terms of Nick Foles. Yeah, Nick Foles is, like Sal's talking about, getting rid of the football. I mean, being a different quarterback and, and igniting the relationships that he's talking about with all of his other receivers, not just Zach Ertz. Car- Carson Wentz was, you know, tight end heavy in terms of his selection process where he threw the, threw the football. You see everyone else getting involved. And that frequency in which that he gets the ball out, that's what makes everything work because he's sitting back there and you're going up against one of the best defenses in the league in terms of getting the pass from the Chicago Bears. Where were they? Where were they? I mean, the offensive line's playing well, but Nick's getting rid of the football, and that's what's key to this offense. You know, and I think just his explanation of that locker room and what they've been able to do, because this team has been under fire since Nick Foles got in there. I mean, they've been in must-win playoff situation games all the way up Every to this week. point. Yes, and so, you know, I think it shows a lot of why he was the MVP of the Super Bowl a year ago in what he was talking about, the relationship. You know, I look at what he's, how he's involved, Alshon Jeffrey. You know, watch the, the fourth down play uh, to, to win the game or at least put yeah. them in the lead against the Bears in a, in a tough place to play. Yeah, not, so, not, not afraid to take chances. No. To, to even the defense is tight. I think Nick knows, Nick knows it, it's going to be that way. I'm just going to put it up there, Alshon, where you got to do what you do. My job, once that ball leaves my hand, it's yours. So you go make a play. Golden Tate, you go make a play. Ertz, make a play. Goddard. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and hold this and get myself crushed, even though he has taken some big hits. And even when but he, he's going to put it up and yep. give him a chance. And even when he went to the sideline to talk to Doug Peterson, I mean, there was a discussion on that sideline of what play to call on that fourth down play of the game, and they won the game. I know yeah, Cody Port- to the right, yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> sprint pass right, all right against zero coverage, mm-hmm. and and they beat Sherrick McManus to the flat. I think that Nick Foles has a little bit more of that YOLO spirit, just you only live once, just YOLO. From, yes, from being a backup <laughs> quarterback. I think they do a better job of spreading the ball around. Obviously, Alshon Jeffries having a better catch rate uh, with Nick Foles back there, so the Eagles can't get too uh, complacent because they're going to be coming in there with a different uh, quarterback as well. And also, Nick Foles does a better job of avoiding the sack than Carson Wentz, uh, 2% of his dropbacks versus uh, 6% with uh, Carson Wentz. I tell you what, I've resigned myself. I'll never be as calm and collected as Nick Foles, but just like for one day, would be nice you know just one day I it won't last long but man that guy ice in his veins